The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Let's pray together. Father, we hear in this psalm such beautiful pictures of your pleasure in the brotherly and sisterly love of your children for one another, your delight to see us united by the love of Christ in love for one another. You tell us this page after page of your word. Certainly you emphasize it in this little letter that is before us again today, Second John. Teach us that truth. Teach us that truth for our life here on this campus as a community of your children and for our life in the churches in which you have placed us. Teach us to love one another deeply, sacrificially, in concrete action and obedience to your commandments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing our meditation through 2 John, that brief second letter of the elder, who is the Apostle John. I want to read the whole to you again today, uh, since it's been several weeks since we were meditating together. And today we'll focus on verses 4 through 6, but here now this portion of God's word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win the full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use pen, paper, and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is God's word. May he write it on our hearts this morning. Well, verses 1 through 3, as we saw several weeks ago, are the standard preliminaries in a letter. John identifies himself as the author. He's the elder. 
He identifies the recipients of the letter, the elect lady and her children. I suggested uh, what most scholars, I think, rightly identify, that this is uh, a symbol for a church and the church's members. And then he further describes their relationship as characterized by love and grounded in truth. In fact, in the truth, uh, hinting in the way he describes the truth as it abides with us and will be with us forever, hinting that the truth is not simply propositional, but personal. Because he's echoing the words that Jesus used in the upper room discourse to describe himself and to describe the Holy Spirit. And now he begins to transition to the body of the letter with what often happens in these ancient letters, and that is a word of appreciation or gratitude or thanksgiving for the congregation. So he begins to say, I rejoiced because I found some of your children walking in the truth, some of your members conducting themselves in the light of the truth. Um, Scholars disagree a little bit about what John is implying by that some of your children. Is he implying that I've found some others that are not walking in the truth and I want to warn you to watch out for them or correct them? Or is he simply saying, I've come across some of your members, but not all of them, and the ones that I've met are walking in the truth, and that encourages me. I don't think we have to make that choice. I read a bunch of commentaries, and they come out about half and half, as so often is the case with commentaries. Um, It's interesting that John makes the appeal to the elect lady, he calls her lady again, very gently. Uh, He doesn't use, I exhort, but simply, I ask. You could even say, I beg. Uh, Greek scholars, it's erotao. You're working with your Greek text, right? I'm asking you that we walk in the commandment that the Father's given to us, the command to love one another. But he does seem to, so that's positive, he does seem to feel the need to make the case a little bit for this old commandment, this commandment that's not new, it's not a novelty. He didn't just think it up, but uh, we've had it from the beginning. What's interesting is that as you read through this whole letter, as we just did, I think it becomes pretty evident that the main point of the letter, the main thing that's provoked John to write, is the theological problem that he is going to identify in verses 7 through 9, and, uh, and then in verses 10 and 11, tell the church what to do about it. So it's really a theological issue that he's concerned about. Uh, some people that Go on ahead, as he says in verse 9. They're the progressives. Uh, I'm tempted to say, and I know this is anachronistic, but John's old school and the progressives are new school. I know that's about 18 centuries off, but uh, uh, the progressives who have the new idea uh, are, are challenging this truth that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh. We'll get to that in our next meditation. But that's John's concern, that there are some who are denying this cardinal truth of the incarnation of the Son. But that's not where he begins. He begins with this theme of love for one another as he's getting into the body of the letter. And he does it because he knows that we need that foundation if we're going to be in the right spiritual mindset to be able to resist the doctrinal error. You notice that first word of verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. His point is, I'm teaching you so much about the obligation to love one another because this is what you'll need in the light of these 
deceivers who were spreading Satan's lies. So, John says, I'm so glad that I've met some of your members. And they're walking in the truth. He's really reinforcing what we saw last time, that John will not let us divide truth from love, nor will he let us divide propositional truth from the personal truth (coughs) who is revealed in those propositions. He's holding them all together. And now he bundles truth and love together with commandment. Did you hear how often commandment appears in these few verses? Commandment. We've gotten, we received the commandment from the Father. It's not a new commandment, but one we had at the beginning. This is love, that we walk according to God's commandments. And this is God's commandment, as you've heard it from the beginning, that you might walk in it, walk in love, or walk in the commandment. It really doesn't matter. So behind John's seemingly circular wording, it sounds like he's saying the same thing over, over again and forgot that he had just told us that. He's, he's making a very important point, and that is, again, the unity of truth and love and how commandment all fits into that. Back in 1 John 3, verse 23, John said, This is God's commandment. One commandment. Here it is. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. One commandment, believe in Jesus, love each other. Sounds like two, doesn't it? No, no. One commandment, faith and love, commitment to truth, walking in truth, which is to live in love for one another. So that's why John here says in our text, the truth is something you walk in, not just something you hold to conceptually, but something that impacts the practice and the pattern of your life. And third John, that other epistle, that other really short one from John, helps us to see this in flesh and blood. John writes to Gaius, who is... uh, A child of John, he calls him, and who is uh, noteworthy for extending hospitality to traveling Christian teachers. And it sounds a lot like what John is saying here to this elect lady when he says to her, I am so overjoyed that I met some of your members and they're walking in the truth. He says to Gaius, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So what is Gaius doing? Doing it's walking in the truth. Well, John goes on. He says, it's a faithful thing you are doing in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the whole church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. You're walking in the truth, Gaius. You're loving them in very concrete ways. You're taking them into your home. You're feeding them, providing shelter for them, and then sending them on their way, buying the the next uh, ship ticket for wherever they're going to go next. You're you're funding their ongoing message. That's that's what walking in the truth and living in love is. It's it's concrete. It's not just emotion. It's not just intellectual conviction. It's action. 
And John says here, this is not a new commandment, this commandment from the Father to love one another. It's one we had from the beginning. Okay. What beginning is that? Almost all the commentators say, well, this is obviously when the gospel first came to this church, whenever it was planted. Quite possibly so. Quite possibly so. Um, But there's something interesting when John writes 1 John. He says about this very same command, he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. It's an old commandment. And then John immediately reverses field and he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That's 1 John 2, verses 7 and 8. This is not a new commandment, it's old. Then again, it is a new commandment. Now, why is John doing that? Is he just trying to confuse us? No. He knows that this commandment to love one another is old. In fact, older than when the gospel reached this congregation. I'm sure he knows having been present, that when Jesus was quizzed on what are the great, is the great commandment, he first quoted Deuteronomy 6, love God with everything in you, and then added to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, verse 18. And that took root in the apostolic heart and mind. So we find not only that Jesus said that, but we find Paul summing up all the commandments just the way Jesus taught him to, even though Paul didn't walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry, in Galatians 5 and Romans 13, by taking us back to Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. And James, Jesus' younger brother, we think, uh, the author of James, goes to that same commandment in James chapter 2. Old, old commandment. But new. But new. Now, John emphasizes here it's old, but it is new. How is it new? What is new? John is also remembering because he was, well, you know, he was reclining right next to Jesus in the upper room. John knows that Jesus said to them on that evening, a new commandment I'm giving to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you're my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you. That's the newness of this new commandment. Israel had been shown God's love in so many ways over so many generations. But it becomes new when we see the height and depth of God's love. As the son, the beloved son, the very next afternoon, would go to the cross and be hanged there, bearing the father's righteous wrath against Human sin against your sin and against my sin. There's love. There's love. That's what John says, 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's extreme. If it comes to that, put your, take the bullet for your brother or your sister. That's extreme. And John knows we might kid ourselves to think, yeah, we'll, we're ready to do that. 
and so he goes from the extreme heroism of martyrdom for the sake of a brother to the mundaneness of this. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The ultimate is Jesus' love for us on the cross. That demands that kind of love of us. And that kind of love may be manifested in very mundane ways. Not so heroic, not so romantic, not so, in one sense, not so costly. And yet, John says, if you've got what it takes to meet a brother's need, that's where the old, new commandment to love needs to work its way out. Of course, that's what Gaius was doing. And that's what made, gave John such joy as he wrote Third John to Gaius. And John says it's really all about obeying, obeying commandments. Um, if you think about love and think about fantasies of affection, affectionate emotions or benevolent feelings, John says, no, no, it's, it's about commandments. It's about obeying God's commandments. Not very spontaneous, not very exciting, not very cutting edge or edgy. Commandments. See, he's really old school. You know, he's, he's not into, into what's new and hot and different and progressive. He's into the old. He's not into novelty but into substance, or as he says in 1 John 3, not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And you see, John says this is so important because there's heresy at loose in the world. There's error. There are lies at loose in the world. And simply having the theological training and precision to combat those errors Simply having Dr. Horton well equip you with presuppositional apologetics. Simply having Dr. Estelle and Dr. Vanee and Dr. Baugh and Professor Kim equip you to deal with the challenges to the Old Testament or the new perspective on Paul and the new. Simply having them arm you intellectually. John says, that's all good. In fact, he's going to go on. Come back next time to critique the theological error. But he says you need to be heeding this command to love one another for, because, there are deceivers at loose in the world. And to resist them, you need to be walking in the truth. You need to be following the Father's command. This Love for one another in response to this new dimension of love shown us in that Christ died for us is what we need to resist what Paul called the waves that toss people to and fro, that carry them with every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheming. Razor-sharp logic is good. Precise presuppositional apologetics, that's fine. Rigorous research and scholarship are all good. But by themselves, they will not fortify you to resist false teaching. Hear, heed the Father's old commandment. Love one another.
in concrete, costly ways. Because that commandment has been made new by the sacrifice of the Son. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for John's very simple but very searching words. We need you to remind us that truth is not only to be believed and retained and defended, but also to be walked. And that walking in the truth is heeding and hearing and putting into practice the Father's ancient command that we love one another in very specific and concrete ways, the ways Gaius did in his time and place for traveling believers. The call to us may be different in in our setting on this campus, but Father, help us to know how vital it is that we respond to your love in the cross of Christ by loving one another. Vital for our spiritual lives, vital for our service to the church, vital for our very grasp of the truth of the gospel and the truth's grasp of us. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is the truth. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.